pulls up. Alamon rejects it. Big time block, Julie Alamon. Elderbrink goes behind her back, puts it up. Big time shot. She nailed it. Bukete. Behind the back to Burani, what a pass! You are listening to the Women's Basketball Worldwide Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Women's Basketball Worldwide Podcast. Carlin Gay alongside Paul Nielsen and Natalia Melendez. And we are pleased to be joined by a fourth who outshines us all, Mr. Dan Bowmaker. How are you, sir? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you very much for the very kind and generous introduction. It's been, it's been a long time coming, Dan. We've, we've, uh, Paul has been trying to get you on uh, behind the scenes for a little while. We missed you on Monday, but uh, now we have you here on a Wednesday, two days later. Um, I, I mean, basketball hasn't really been played in the last couple of months, so what have you been doing with your time? Well, it's uh, given me a great opportunity to catch up with a lot of paperwork. Um, I've been so busy <laughs> traveling and seeing so many games. And now I've actually had an opportunity to sit down, go over my notes, uh, get back in contact with uh, players and parents and uh, kind of get a lot of work done, to be honest. So it's been a blessing. I, I must apologize first and foremost because I know you're famous to us, but there are many people who are listening who may not do, who may not know what exactly it is that you do. They know Blue Star Europe, though. They see that all over Twitter. They may not know that you are behind that Twitter account. So, what exactly is uh, a day in the life of Dan Baumann? So, I am running a scouting service and uh, providing information to NCAA uh, coaches on prospects and players who are interested in playing college basketball. Um, it's a one-man show. I do everything myself. I scout. Uh, you know, it's just myself. Um, but in essence, I will uh, travel around uh, the world, but mainly Europe, um, find talented players uh, make contact with them and see if they have an interest in playing college basketball because obviously that's not everybody's uh, dream and goal. Uh, but for the kids that do want to do that, then I speak with their parents and explain the process to them and then just give them exposure to college coaches. Carlan, I got to tell you this and Paul too. This morning, I was talking to my best friend as I always do in the morning. And I told her, I have this podcast today with Dan Baumaker. And she goes, I know him. My friend is in New York, in New York. And I say, how do you know him? He said, Natalia, he knows everybody that is somebody. That is them. <laughs> I met him and he's a very good friend of my friend, Mike Flynn. So he's everywhere. She told me that he was very famous, that everybody knows him, and that it was very cool that we we're going to have him today. And I was happy, you know, because she told me some things about him. So it's a pleasure to have him. Well, what are the things? What are, what are, the, what are the nice things? Tell the man. She we, told we me that. He... <laughs> no, 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 no. She said that <laughs> that he was great, that he was amazing, you know, the work he is doing with, with women's uh, basketball. But she also told me he's very funny. At the beginning, he probably, you know, be serious and everything, but he's a funny guy. He's such a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> Natalia, Natalia. Yes. Are you sure she was talking about Dan? Yes. <laughs> I could not believe when she said, I know him. And I said, how do you know him? You live in New York. And she said, Natalia, he knows everybody that is somebody. You got to know who he is. Well, that's just a call over to describe herself as somebody. But um, yeah, it's a very small world. 
<laughs> and uh, just 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 to reiterate for those uh, who are sticking with us and, and, and listening, and if you're not and you're listening for the first time, a big welcome. But um, the reason that we've asked Dan onto the show um, is certainly from my perspective, covering the women's game at different levels, um, coming into contact with parents, coming into contact with young players, federations, agents, scouts, and it's a bit of a minefield out there. And I think um, having somebody with Dan's expertise um, to kind of flag up some of those often asked questions, whether it's players or parents, and I think to debunk some of the myths that are out there that some yeah. parents are asked to pay, um, pay fees to certain people. Um, so do you just want to give us a, a rundown, Dan, of um, in very broad terms, maybe, of uh, what parents and players need to be looking out for if they're 14, 15, 16 or whatever? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it is a, a difficult landscape for parents and players, uh, particularly those that are based in clubs uh, where there are no other kids who've gone the college route or, you know, they don't know anybody. And even for those families that may have some experience, um, it's still, you know, one or two people's journey. Typically, I'm helping uh, 50, 60 players every year um, go to college. And uh, this is actually coming up to our 10th year of running. So I've had a lot of experience. And for players and parents, uh, particularly for the very high level kids, some of the things that they need to be aware of is protecting their eligibility. Um, College basketball is for amateur players. You can't have an agent. Uh, you can't have a contract. <clears throat> and I think uh, sometimes, uh, particularly more so in the past, some agents have been a little bit uh, disingenuous with players and have perhaps convinced them to sign contracts and go down that route without informing the player that this really does mean that you know the, the opportunities to play college basketball are ended for them. Uh, second thing is about the academic pathway and uh, not only making sure that they're following the correct courses at high school, but also preparation to take either the SAT or the ACT test and the TOEFL. So there's kind of two aspects to just protecting themselves to be available, to be recruited. And then there's the, the whole uh, getting recruited. Um there's kind of two sides to the business. Uh, there's people like myself who run a scouting service and we are approved by the NCAA and colleges subscribe and pay into our data, you know, pay for our information. The other side of the business is what I refer to as player services. Um, and those are companies that are charging the families money to basically give them some advice about that um, admin process and the academic things the kind of things that i give out for free but then work on promoting them as a player um it's probably there are some countries where those player services companies are more prevalent and it's part of the culture particularly say for example in spain um you know most players are accustomed to that idea that you have to pay somebody money to help you with the process um, and that's completely alien in other countries. It just it doesn't exist. Um, but it's everyone's going through the process in the most part the first time, and they don't often know where to get information. Um, and so I think uh, hopefully my reputation is building. I'm transparent. I give out all my information for free and to help families. 
and um, try and help them through that journey for themselves. While while you've uh, been in the game for for as long as you have, and, and kind of going through through helping, um, you know, you know, players kind of reach their dreams, uh, or or even introduce a new dream to them that they didn't think was possible. Uh, when you're going through the education part of it, are you finding different areas of the world are more educated in some sport, some parts, or need a little more help in others? I, I think about you know obviously being biased on this side of the world in North America, where uh, you know there is I feel like there is a, a lack of people going out to ask questions because parents probably feel like they're so close to it and they're living the NCAA life that they may just go out ahead and, and try to make an educated guess where my assumption might be if you're further away, you're more likely to ask questions to, to, to people like yourself. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, there are differences. Um, and I think some of those are, there I say, sort of cultural differences. Um, for example, I might uh, make contact with a, a player in a family in, in, uh, in let's say some Scandic countries, um, and I will just send them an email, and the families will just respond to the email within a, a matter of hours. They'll fill out my registration form. They kind of understand the process, and then there are some other areas where, um, and and rightly so, but the the families are a little bit more apprehensive, and particularly if you're working in a country where everybody's used to paying. Mm-hmm. for this service and then you say oh no you don't have to pay me it's free <laughs> they're kind of like oh what's, what's the catch mm-hmm. like right. how can yeah. you be as good as somebody that wants me to pay them five thousand euros you know i, I don't understand wow. um and i think that's uh particularly in spain it's it's something over the last few years i've been able to sort of get across and um you know i think uh, families are more open to the process of being helped without having to pay so much money I'm curious, these are difficult times, and I was just thinking, what what is going to happen to the girls that um, that are going to go to, to the state, but they cannot get uh, their visas because of the COVID situation? August is going to be very difficult. Yeah, it's, um, it's a little bit of a concern, and uh, particularly because uh, with some schools, there are very strict rules about when a player has to be on campus before mm-hmm. uh, the season starts. Um, and I am a little bit worried um, that, you know, once everybody can start applying for their visa, there's going to be a backlog, and I think some kids are going to struggle. Um, yeah. Hopefully, they'll be able to get in for the second semester, but it's a difficult situation for sure. Yeah. And uh, Dan, do you want to just um, kind of for any um, young people and their parents who do listen to this, just make some comments about kind of choosing a college. Now, obviously, I know that you don't recommend a college, um, but just where do they kind of start? What are the things that they should be looking for? You know, if they're kind of given invitations, how many should they attend? I know it's all an individual choice, but just kind of some broad strokes about that when offers do come. Yeah, I mean, let's let's be clear. A lot of European players are not in position to have a massive range of options to choose. Um, but for those players that are, it's it's something that they really need to think about. And this is why I encourage families to start the process as early as possible to make sure they're as well informed. I mean, for example, you. You could take a, a big university like Florida where there's maybe 50,000 students 
And then there are some NCAA colleges where there's only like two and a half thousand. Now, you know, one is like a, a small town in its own right, and the other is like a normal high school. And it's very difficult for the parents if they're looking at a website to try and understand, well, what's the differences? Um, you know, some campuses are in fantastic landscape. Others are right in the city block. Obviously, location, where they might prefer to be, you know, the U.S. is a big country and there's big differences. So they need to be aware of that. Um, a big question for players is, what are you going to the United States for? What, what's your purpose? Um, if you are thinking about uh, developing yourself into a, a professional player, then you need to go to a program and a school where you're going to play and mm -hmm. be developed. You know, no, no one's going to offer you a contract because you went to a high level school, but you sat on the bench for four years. Yes. Lots of players are choosing this option because it's about getting a degree. They can't in Europe combine high level basketball and academics. So for lots of players, it's like, well, I just really want to get my degree and enjoy the basketball experience. So thinking about uh, the different conferences you can play in and the level of play, you know, do you want to be a, a big fish in a small pond or the other way around? Um, one of the things that's really difficult for players to understand is about the style of play um, and, you know, what different teams are like. And obviously it's getting better, but it's not always been easy for players from Europe to watch college basketball. Mm -hmm. um, so that's another thing that they need to think about. Um, Ultimately, these players have got to make their own decision. You know, they're leaving home, new culture, new country, new educational system, new coaches, new expectations, and you're going into a professional environment. You know, your head coach is being paid a lot of money to win games. You've got to be able to go in and help. So there's lots of things for them to think about. And I think the earlier they start the process, the more information they can get, the the better inform their decision and hopefully the more success they'll have in which grade ninth tenth grade uh, what age do you advise the players to start looking for colleges to start studying you know different places they can go yeah definitely um around 14 years old you know wow, grade nine, mm -hmm. because i think um first of all they need to be aware of the academic requirements and uh, if you don't follow the correct core courses you can't make up for that So you need to be familiar with the process uh, from grade nine. And I think just for them to get used to the, the different terminology used in recruiting, uh, the different terminology in the States, and become familiar with schools. So when a university starts to make their official contact with you, you know, you're not scrabbling around to try and work out, well, who is it that I'm talking to? You know, you have an idea of what conference they play in or yes. what their win-loss record is, things like that. In terms of the the academic piece, I know a lot of people or, or you know a lot of players might be behind the eight ball now, listening to this, saying, scratching their head, saying, "Well, if he's recommending maybe in grade nine, I should have sort of paid attention." And now I'm here two years out from from having to to make a decision, but maybe not have you know gotten my ducks in a row uh, to this point. What what can they do to catch up, so to speak, uh, if if they're in that situation where they're kind of halfway uh, academically ready to to take the next step? Um, in essence, probably ask me, um, <laughs> because you, you can, I mean, I could say to them, okay, well, go into the, uh, the NCAA eligibility center and register and create an account, but that costs you $150, right. which 
you're going to have to do at some stage, but only when you're sure that's what you want to do. Uh, there is information on the um, on the website about the core courses, and you can download guides. Um, I've recently just done a, a video post for um, the players that I'm helping just to kind of guide them through the process. And I, I've tried to make it as useful as possible, but it, it's quite a dry topic. And, you know, you just got to get through the detail and, and be realistic about it. So they can get that advice and then they need to check whether they're doing the correct core courses. Uh, the other problem that players have is uh, taking the SAT test. Um, in Europe, there are only a, a few months a year where you can do the test and it's during the regular season. So there'll be, for instance, uh, a kid who wants to go and play college basketball, but their club are not in favor of the process. And they've got to kind of work out how do they excuse themselves one Saturday to go and do the SAT test when their club's expecting them to play. So, you know, knowing about those kind of things and preparing as early as possible will help them. And Dan, just um, thinking about players themselves, and obviously a lot of a lot of young players, maybe, you know, we've we've well, I've, we've both been to tournaments like 12, 13, 14 year olds. Mm-hmm. Um, for those players and the young girls who are obviously aspiring to play in college, what kind of uh, things should they be doing in terms of workouts, in terms of um, how many hours per week? I know it differs from country to country. It depends on access, on parents. But just as a general rule, because obviously you see such a, a variety of um, of talent levels and a variety of countries and players, what are the common good practice tips you would give to, to parents and kids around uh, developing that game in general? Well, I think in first instance, I would say for them to follow the advice and guidance of their club coach or their national team coach, because irrespective of my opinion and what I might say, that's the person that's actually going to be working with that athlete and developing their game. So I think they really need to kind of continue along those lines. If I was to answer your question by saying, well, let me look at the the better players and what separates them. It's just, you know, it's your 10,000 hour rule you know, how much basketball have you got inside you? And uh, we typically see the countries where the kids, let's say, for example, Spain, where they're starting to play mini basketball and a much younger age. They're just getting all of those core skills, you know, of their dribbling and their passing and their basic shooting form. Um, And then generally daily practicing and continuing to repeat those skills. Um, the problem for some kids in Europe is more about the standard of competition, is that they can go and do those individual workouts and improve your you know, your ball handling on your own. But it's when you're in a country where the level of competition for you is holding you back. And, and that's a bit of a difficult one. And we are seeing some kids, um, you know, leave home at the age of 14 or 15 uh, to go to another country because they realize you know, where they are is hindering their progress. That's a tough one to, uh, to, to kind of figure out when, when to, to sort of make that jump, because, you know, if you're, if you're dominating at a certain age group, um, you're not really sure how actually good you, you might could be. Is that a difficult conversation to have uh, with players slash parents to, to, to think about that at such an early age? Um, I think players are more self-aware. Um, I think sometimes parents are the problem. Um, quite rightly, they're, they're very proud of their own child and their child's achievements. And when you try and say to them, 
okay, but let's just compare what it means to be successful here compared to, you know, what it means to be successful there. Um, lots of parents don't realize, you know, when they enter this process, it's a competition. If you're a college coach and you're looking at my database and let's say, for example, you need a point guard, um, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to look at who is the best available player. And if you can't sign that kid, you're going to go down the pecking order in, until you land a target. So, you know, there might be a player who's dominating in their domestic league, but that player could still be, you know, way down the pecking order in terms of an average player or another average national team player in another country. Then what is what is it, uh, the biggest difficulty that the girls find once they decide to come to the States? Is the culture, is the language, is basketball? In your experience, I know everybody's different, but in your experience? Yeah, no, you're right. Everyone is different. I think the, the professionalism, uh, the intensity of training, uh, mm -hmm. the physicality of those demands is what really takes its toll um, on every player. Uh, the jump, even if you're, you know, in the U.S. and you're at high school, the jump from that, even if you're in one of those programs that takes themselves very seriously, mm -hmm. when you get to the college level, you know, the expectations and the demand is is really tough. Um, yes. I think the what shocks the players is how little spare time they have. You know, the term is student athlete. You are a full time student attending all the regular lectures and you're a full time athlete. Um, so, you know, when you talk to a player and they might say to you, oh, well, I'd like to go to this school because I think it's close to the beach. I'm like, you're crazy. <laughs> you think you're going to the beach? Like, what's not happening? If you don't get the grades, you're not going to be playing. Exactly. Yeah. Of all the, the, the great young talents that you've seen, who's the one or two that you just thought, wow, when you first saw them, when they were like, I mean, a kid? you know, 13, 14, who stands out? Yeah, um, I, I was thinking about this the other day, and there are kids who, like, you won't forget uh, when you first saw them. Um, so I, I remember seeing Satu, um, the uh, FIBA World Cup, Youth World Cup was in Amsterdam that year. And 2012. That's correct. And there's a tournament called the North Sea Development Cup, It's like an under-15 national uh, team tournament, uh, Denmark, Germany. And I remember hearing about this tournament and leaving the World Cup to, to go and watch, you know, some young kids play. <laughs> I saw Satu and I'm like, damn, mm -hmm. okay, you know, this kid is going to be special. Um, and, you know, off we go and we stayed in contact with her and she played for our Blue Star Europe team. And obviously she's had a fantastic career at Oregon. Mm -hmm. um, uh, other kids, I mean, Kitty Alatska stood out for me um, more so defensively. Um, she just played faultless defense uh, for for a player of her age. It, it was incredible. Is there anybody who wasn't kind of stand out, but you were the one with a smile on your face, thinking <laughs> she? Because these are the real gems. This is what you've. As a scout, I think the everybody knows about the best kid in the gym. But yeah. is there anybody who maybe was, you know, looked a bit average, but you thought, hang on, a couple of years of development, if they grow in the right way, you know, you notice the long arms or whatever, where you thought she she could be a baller, and uh, she has been. Yeah, um, 
I remember being at the uh, Spanish uh, under-16 championships, the club championships. They have, you know, 32 teams. Yeah. There's loads of talent. And uh, <clears throat> I remember speaking to another scout, and he was like, oh, you know, what do you think of this kid? She's, you know, she's going to be the best. She's amazing. And I was just dumbfounded. I was like, you have got to be kidding. Tell me that <laughs> we're talking about this kid. And he was like, oh, really? And I'm like, oh, wow. And then, you know, two years later, She's, you know, playing for the national team and she's a star. And I was like, yep. I mean, it, it's difficult how you, you know, people ask me, well, how do you know? How, how do you spot talent? How, how do you do that? And I guess it's uh, a, lot of, a lot of time in the gym and a lot of experience to try and see. I'm looking at a kid who's 13 or 14 years old and thinking, how good are they going to be when they're 18 or 19? Not how good are they now? So yeah. for young players, you know, they might be playing for their national team and be sat at the end of the bench and playing limited minutes. But I'm watching them in the warm-up. I'm watching them, how they carry themselves. I'm thinking, okay, I can see this kid is going to be good. And maybe the national team coach is not a fan of them, but I can still see they have something in them. Paul, Dan's not only a, an expert scout, but he, he's media trained as well. Did not give you a single name. Great stories, <laughs> but not a single <laughs> name. Yes. He's not even aware of the sauce at all. I think exactly oh. the same thing. He's so smart. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, and I didn't want to embarrass who the scout was either. So, you know, want to play that quietly. Covering all bases. Don't worry. We 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 see. We'll get you off the off the air. Um, is there is there some sort of advice you can give to to kids who are currently being scouted now? I know I know one of the the main things that I've always heard scouts talk about was the minute they walk into the gym, that's when they start scouting. Um, and and most kids sometimes kind of goof off or uh, they're doing certain things in a warm up line, especially when you're at such a level that you know you can turn it on playing against lesser competition. Is there is there something that like a gem you can drop on us here for for some of the kids that are listening that they may not pay attention to or even think about that you know scouts and, and ultimately college coaches are paying attention to. Yeah, I think I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, when I'm scouting, I will always get to the gym, hopefully like half an hour before the game. Because for me, how the kid carries himself in warm-up, how they engage with their teammates during that time is critical. Um, the other thing is, you know, like bench behavior. You know, I'm, I'm looking at when the kid gets subbed out or when they make a mistake, what's their body language. And that's one of the key things for me is why I have to go to these tournaments. Because if you're trying to scout off film, you know, all you're getting is the editor's cut. You're getting to see the on-court action. But when you actually go to the tournament and you see how a player engages with their teammates uh, when they're on the bench, whether they're up or whether they're, they're losing or they just got subbed out because they made a mistake or they're having a bad day, all of those small tangibles are what give you a feel about the player. It's true. I mean, what, one of them things I always think is um, how many people think they find players on YouTube. But, you know, we've been at tournaments together, Dan, and we've seen yeah. somebody subbed out and, you know, their reactions being sulky, sit on the end of the bench or even worse. And, and they're just not good enough to have that kind of behaviour. And even if they are good enough at that age, it would be a bit of a worry to me unless they were, you know, the next Diana Tarazi. Yeah, absolutely. And and these kids, a lot of them are currently working with uh, coaches who are educators, you know, who are doing it part time. It, it's for fun. Mm -hmm. You're moving from that landscape to a professional sports environment. And you've got to be able to cope and deal with the rigors of that environment. So your your mentality and your approach to handling adversity is key. 
got just just one more quick one, guys. Just um, from me uh, on this, um, we've got to mention Sweden, Dan, um, and the experience. <laughs> uh, um, basically, uh, uh, just just to tell everybody, we went to the Blackerberg tournament in uh, Sweden. How old were the girls? Was it fourteen, fifteen? Yeah, yeah. And there was a blue star team from from the states. Um, a blue blue star thirty team essentially wasn't it? And uh, basically, what happened was is they were beating everybody. Dan Dan was coaching. I was carrying the water bottles and towels. <laughs> I am as, <laughs> as usual. Um, and uh, what happened? They were beating everybody by so many points and everything. It caused quite a buzz on the first day. It was like a three day thing or something in Stockholm in Sweden. And uh, this a, I should make it clear, it wasn't my good quality coaching. It was just the talent that we had on the team. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, but anyway, word got round after the first day, and then on the second day, we realised that uh, the girls had built up a bit of a, a following with the local youth, shall we say. And by the third day, I kid you not, we were in a minivan leaving the gym, and they were running, weren't they, trying to get pictures yeah. like paparazzi all the way down? <laughs> no. It was insane, wasn't it, Dan? It was, it was a great experience. Great experience. Year old girls. It was. It was incredible. I think it was great for the the local kids to see like next level talent, as as they would describe it. And then it was great for the American kids to have that experience to get, you know, like celebrity status. It, it was phenomenal. Yeah, some some of them some of them have got like what 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 says Jane? I got like two hundred thousand Instagram followers, and she's like fourteen, fifteen. Yeah, and and this is going to be key. Obviously, I don't know if you're aware, but the uh, NLI name, likeness, and image uh, the rule changes in the NCAA, um, where players are now going to be able to actually generate some income uh, from the use of their name, like mm-hmm. an image. Um, it's that's a big shift. Um, and it's going to have an impact on recruiting and it's going to have an impact on how players start to present themselves and think about their future business, their brand. You're talking about Jada, Jada Williams. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. She's a stud. Saw her at the, uh, the NBA junior championships, uh, last summer in Orlando. And, uh, yeah, she, she can, she can definitely play. Yeah. She's fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and she was actually squeezed out for the MVP as well. So you know, depth wow, of talent, talent as well. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I just I would I would like to console myself that uh, when I get ten new followers on Twitter, it's just the same joy as her getting ten thousand new followers. This month. <laughs> yeah, we're in the same boat. Our our followers combined can't even hold a candle to what she has on her own. So that's now, a different level. Colin, Colin, I've always said quality over quantity. Anyway. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah, you know what? I'm. I we just watched ten parts of uh, of the Last Dance documentary. I'm waiting for ten parts of this. You guys coaching together. Uh, that's what I'm waiting for. Come on, Netflix, give it to me. Well, can you can you believe it, Colin? Me, a media person, was couldn't wait for this weekend. I mean, really, honestly, I was so excited. And what did I do? Car park of the airport on departure. I left my phone in the car. Oh. And the, the best the best thing was is the, the bus, the coach from the airport at midnight to the hotel in the middle of Stockholm had to have a barcode. So you had this scene with all of these Japanese tourists watching me with a full-size laptop trying to scan it <laughs> on the guys, on the guys thing as I got on the bus. It was yeah, but it was it was unbelievable. It was great. Honestly, it was uh 
was a fantastic, fantastic weekend. And a big thank you to, to Mike Flynn of, of Blue Star uh, Media for, for setting that up. So grateful. One of my best basketball memories. Jessica told me, ask Don if Blue Star 30 Europe is going to happen. Ah, uh, great question. Um, well, the, the official line is we're postponed for the moment. Um, but um, I was actually speaking with Mike Flynn just two days ago about uh, kind of a plan of what we think is going to happen. Uh, we had organized a venue. Everything was ready. Uh, the dates for the tournament have been set. And that's really a difficult thing to do because lots of the very talented kids that we want to come to the camp are involved in the national team. So trying to find a time where you can get all of these best kids available is difficult. Um, the, the time of that camp has now passed. Um, so we're just looking at what we might be doing possibly very late August or September. But um, there'll be news on that as soon as possible. Yeah, yeah. Finger, fingers crossed uh, for that to happen. BlueStarEurope.com is the website. Uh, that is where you can go and get all the information. It, you know, it, it, this this kind of pause in the world with the, with the, the global pandemic has allowed uh, people to kind of, you know, educate themselves on things that they probably didn't have enough time to educate themselves on before. Hopefully, uh, they've used this time to, you know, peruse your site, Dan, and, and try to pick your brain and find out as mm -hmm. much as they can to set themselves up for success down the line. But we really appreciate you uh, spending some time with us here uh, and, and, and kind of dropping your knowledge. You can, you can let your tie out now because we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna have some fun. I was, I was taking notes. <laughs> this, this was school for me. <laughs> and I, I, I think, Colin, I think one of the other things we had on the agenda now, talking about people trying to educate themselves, was um, Black Lives Matter and um, very much what's going on in the world. Um, yes. And I, I think Dan should stay because, can you believe, I don't want to make light of something so serious, but it is true that we now have two talk and uh, middle-aged, sorry, uh, white males <laughs> on, on the discussion. So... <laughs> it's not ideal so i don't know whether we should get rid of one of us so we're both allowed to stay but you know that's where the general ignorance is coming from in my view hey the bigger the audience the better it is for everybody i think uh you know no one no one is uh void of, of of learning and 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 kind of uh you know being a part of the conversation we need more voices uh positive ones to, to, to keep the the movement moving forward and 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 from my perspective as uh i guess uh, you know, being on this side of the world in North America where you know, we've seen protests in all 50 mm -hmm. states. I, I participated in one myself. Um, and, you know, being uh, a man of color, it uh, kind of was cathartic for me to be a part of that, uh, you know, that protest, um, you know, a week ago now. And, uh, you know, to see the rest of the world, um, you know, you guys are in Europe, see the rest of the world kind of uh, follow suit. And now we're, we're looking at the biggest protests in, in, in global history. Um, and then when you're talking about it from a sports level, to see the way that the WNBA has kind of responded as a whole, some of the players, uh, you know, Liz Cambage lead, uh, leading it down in Australia, see, and, uh, you know, friend, friend of the show, uh, you know, all, all, I mean, when you talk about, um, you know, Amanda Zowie coming on this program and, and, and even talking about it, uh, in her experience in Sweden and she's very vocal on social media, but also going out and, and protesting in Sweden. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, it, it kind of gives me hope uh, in, in terms mm -hmm. of um, where we're starting to turn a corner here mm -hmm. and it, hopefully, you know, we continue to, to push the conversation, not just in the United States, but beyond our, these borders, uh, you know, in Canada and, and Puerto Rico and 
Europe and, and, and beyond, uh, I think, you know, racism obviously is a, is an issue in, in more countries than just one. Um, we've all either, you know, come across it in some way, shape or form. If you're around the game of basketball, you're, you're going to some, some way, shape or form, have a conversation either directly or indirectly uh, with someone that's either dealt with it or you, you've seen it happen in front of your eyes. So, um, you know, it, it, we can use our game as a, as an opportunity to kind of continue to educate. Uh, I will say sports mm-hmm. is, you know, the, the greatest sort of, um, you know, teacher uh, in, in my life in terms of being able to learn about different people from different walks of life. Uh, and, and hopefully, you know, I believe that the youth, you know, the younger youth is, is a lot more educated than, than I was when I was their age mm-hmm. on the situation. Um, you know, they're a lot more compassionate. Uh, they have a lot more resources at their hands with the internet. Uh, so I really do have hope that uh, we're able to get past it and, and, and move forward. Um, and, you know, as I said, hopefully sports uh, and, and, and great to see that, you know, a lot of the women that play in the WNBA and have the large platform mm-hmm. were, were kind of leading the charge in that uh, and, and using their voices in the right way. Well said, Colin, well said. And I, I just say to build on that, I've been uh, immensely proud to see uh, lots of the players that I've helped in the past who've gone out to the States and played college basketball how vocal they have been on their social media platforms um, of addressing these issues and and the Black Lives Matter uh, movement. And and it's been great to see, you know, white kids who've gone over, had that experience in the States, and now be like a real leader back in their own communities in terms of starting those conversations and making those statements that sometimes make people feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But you have to shift people from feeling uncomfortable to a place of openness where they can have dialogue and be educated. And that's when you start to make small shifts in people's perceptions. I saw your pictures, Dan. I saw your pictures. You were protesting. I think that is amazing. That was amazing. Uh, It was one of those opportunities that um, obviously, okay, there's a pandemic. Should you really be going on a protest with, you know, you you have your mask on. Yeah, I had a mask on and, and most people did in London. I think for me, it was, you know, you'd look back and, you know, ask yourself, like, if you didn't go on the march, why not? What what were you doing? You know, this is a, an amazing opportunity that we've actually really started to push this and it's become global in terms of this outcry since George Floyd. And it's fantastic. So, yeah. Uh, similar to you, Colin, it, it was it was a great experience to be there. Um, surround yourself with like-minded people who you know can see that this is an important issue. It, it isn't going to go away. It's not going to get resolved because you know we we chanted and, and held up some banners, but it, it's a start in the right direction. Yeah, it definitely yeah. is, and and history will will show that you know uh, you know th- this many people. Uh, stepped out and, and, and went out yeah, there and, and sure. tried to use their voice. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, you know, for, for being a guy in his mid thirties, I'm probably as uh, anti-social media as, as, as there could be out there. Uh, you know, I'm only on Twitter. I'm not on Instagram or Facebook, but uh, I think at a time like this, being able to see the rest of the world on social media, uh, you know, sharing, you know, photos, either protesting like you did then or, uh, you know, using their voices uh, to, to kind of share different petitions or uh, different opportunities to donate is, is really the beauty of, of how social media has kind of connected the world in different corners. So, um, you know, 
365 days a year. I'm not, I'm not a big social media guy, but you know, in the last couple of weeks, I've really appreciated having the opportunity to see that uh, and the world come together with just straight up, flat out love. Yeah, yeah. And I think from my perspective, I mean, I tweeted tweeted something a bit more. Um, I don't know, maybe. Uh, as a passive aggressive, <laughs> I'm not sure um, because I, 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 I don't know. That's, shit that's about... rare for Paul, right? That, that, that doesn't happen often. <laughs> I, do, I don't know shit about being um, the victim of discrimination. Um, so I think the most I can do, and hopefully it's on a more individual basis, is when you know uh, a friend, a colleague, or somebody does um, kind of come forward uh, with those types of views is to challenge them directly mm-hmm. and i think you know the big stuff looks great on instagram and i'm a hundred percent behind that it's hugely important especially to build a movement and to build momentum but i think those one-to-one conversations can be the most difficult to have but those are the ones that need to be had because people who probably do hold some racist views or racist views um those are the ones probably dismissing or not on instagram um and i think that it's really important that we all challenge it and i think it's even more important that that we challenge it with people who we might actually admire in every other way Mm -hmm. Um, and obviously explain to them that that is a big dent in 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 your opinion of them And, and like dan said not as a criticism but to open the conversation and not just to let things go and to let things pass because I think too many people turn a blind eye, and that's that's one of the biggest barriers I can see um, to get more people to engage and and treat people fairly and respectfully. I, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I think the 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 uh, just the conversation being you know continuous and year round, and and you know the the Me Too movement was you know a movement because. Uh, it really challenged people to not sit on the sideline and, and really point out when you when you sort of saw things happen and have people, you know, women come forward when, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they they may have been, sh- you know, kind of scared off to say anything in the past. And, and it, and it yes. educated a lot of people out there that, you know, may not have been paying attention uh, to, to, to just some of the things that they had to go through. So hopefully this ends up being the same way. As you said, we're not going to be able to change everyone's mind, but we're at least going to be able to point out where someone's wrong and help help correct them, um, even if it's just out of flat-out ignorance. Mm-hmm. Racism yeah. I mean, is a reality. It's up to all of us, black, white, Latinos, everybody, you know, to, to work on it. We can no longer, no longer uh, look away. We all have to work Absolutely. together with this. And I think one of the, the, the great things that has come from the social media presence is it's possibly given some people a greater confidence to voice their concerns or to have conversations at home with family members because there's some content there. There's something they can say, hey, you know, have you seen this? What do you think? So I think that's been one advantage of the, the sort of ease of access to other resources and uh, things that, you know, people could use as a starting point for those conversations. Yeah, 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 absolutely right. I've had more conversations about race the last couple of uh, last couple of weeks than uh, than I probably had my my entire life. Trying to look at it from different perspectives and open my eyes to not just the Black Lives Matter movement, but uh, you know, thinking about others as well. I saw uh, you know a twenty two year old uh, you know famous um, famous kind of reality show star die and or kill herself in in Japan. 
uh, because she was getting bullied for being half Japanese and not full Japanese. And that's yes. something that, you know, yeah. that, you know, you don't even you know, think about when you're on this side of the world that, that, you know, that sort of thing happens everywhere. And Europe obviously uh, is no different. And Puerto Rico is obviously no different where, where Natalia is. So it's, uh, it's, it's good to, to kind of get the, the global view and not just focus on, you know, on one area and seeing how we can each individually change our own countries or, or our own continents for that matter. I don't know if we can get a, there's, there's probably no tougher transition to do uh, in, 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 uh, in, in, in podcasting than to uh, try to transition off of uh, such a serious conversation and pivot to something probably a little bit more light. Do we have a, do we have a jaw dropper this, Wait, year, this I, week? I don't Paul? know. What, do we, we have, have Paul? Do we have one? No, we, we don't. Does, does Dan have a jaw dropper that he'd like to put us Here on the spot for, put us on the spot for anything, a question, um, a statement, um, throw something out there, Dan. Is there something that you'd really want to put us in a in a spot and make us answer? Well, let me just. Uh, it's not a jaw dropper, but yes or no? Should FIBA Under Seventeen World Championship go ahead August the fifteenth? I can't, I can't answer that, but Colin. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh, I've been on this podcast saying no, uh, and I think that FIBA should have made that decision a while ago. Um, in, in terms of trying to take, they, they're, they're putting parents in a tough situation to, to, to either send kids to an event where they don't feel comfortable sending them. I, I think FIBA should, if it was a, a senior, uh, you know, tournament, I, I would think, you know what, we're at a point now you can go ahead without fans, uh, in the arena. But at this point, um, you know, you want to take the, the, it's, it's a, you know, junior tournament, take the take the decision out of these parents and kids' hands and, and, and go ahead and postpone it and move it forward somewhere, some other time. Before I answer, where is the tournament? Uh, Romania in Cluj. <sighs> Natalia, are you Googling Romania? No, 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 no. The thing is, we, I mean, no, we, we got we to gotta, we gotta, we gotta continue our life. Uh, just have the kids 20 days before in a hotel. Get them all tests. Uh, we have to find a way to keep, you know, to continue life. I mean, that's that's what that that's what Dan was saying about. Yeah, Dan was saying that about one one controlled environment, apart from obviously going to the gym, but you know, a big hotel or whatever. I think for me, and I, I mentioned this just before we, we we pressed the record button, is that I guess it may come down to whether individual federations can secure. Um, yeah. insurance i don't know how that works um general health insurance that might not be covered by the event or tournament insurance so i think it's a bit of an iceberg thing that there's a lot of things maybe under the water other than can they do it or not um that maybe aren't always seen i'm, I'm no expert on these matters but i'm guessing we'll find out soon because it's uh only two two months away there or thereabouts yeah and fever had said that they would uh, make an announcement mid-may so there's obviously some reason for the delay, the delay in use. And Carlin, I think you make a good point about, uh, you know, these are minors and it's a difficult decision for parents uh, to have to make. The, the one thing that's playing on my mind is irrespective of whether the tournament goes ahead, the vast majority of those players, maybe a few days or a week, two weeks maximum, at the end of that tournament, we'll all be returning to school. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So they're going to be facing, you know, life like that very shortly after whether they could be in a controlled sporting environment. 
Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's a tough, really a tough uh, decision to make. One one last one before we get out of here. Uh, the the WNBA had had some had some rumblings of, of possibly returning mid July, twenty two game schedule as opposed to thirty six game schedule. Um, it'd be kind of maybe a two two months after the original start date. It was meant to start in the middle of May. Um, your thoughts? It, it's going to be all in one spot, kind of like what the NBA trying to do with that bubble situation down in Florida. Uh, at IMG, I haven't been to the IMG Academy, but I've heard great reviews oh, it, about it. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing place, right? Yeah, the place is unbelievable. It's amazing. Um, no, the, the place is amazing. The facilities are fantastic. Um, my concern was about the scheduling in terms of the WNBA then having to compete with the NBA going on at the same time, and I think that's going to be an issue. It's true. I mean, <clears throat> I suppose that. Um... Yeah, that, the other thing is, is it? I think if they don't do anything, then they'll see it as an opportunity missed. Um, just, just to kind of have something in a showpiece event. I mean, I know a lot of them. Looks like a lot of the European players just aren't aren't going to go. Or haven't been signed, and I don't think that's surely down to it. Um, not being selected thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a little different. But those are the times we live in. I guess if they can get away with one good tournament. And it's well picked up, then uh, then that's the best of a of kind of a bad situation, and that's just going to be the same for for other leagues. Um, obviously, you have Euroleague women, Euro Cup women. I think a decision will be made on that soon. Um, whether they have a tournament um, at the start of next season, whether they postpone the season still ongoing, or whether they just kind of cancel the season. So yeah, it's 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 tough. Before we go, I have a question for Dan. If Tokyo twenty if, if Tokyo twenty twenty one happens, who do you expect to be in the podium? <laughs> There's a job. Um, well, I probably need to refresh my mind of what the groups would be, but I would just off the top of my head, I'll go USA, Spain, and Belgium. No Canada. Wow, no. <laughs> well, that's where we're in the podcast. That's where we got to end it. <laughs> Colin, Colin, I think you've been done there. I think these two were speaking before we, uh, before you came in. <laughs> that is that. No, that's like not a setup. We didn't spoke about this. <laughs> so, it smelled like a setup. <laughs> okay, oh, Natalia, I'll send you my PayPal details when we get offline. Okay, <laughs> it's a long story then. Paul will explain you later. <laughs> yeah. Dan just has to listen to every single podcast, and and this is the time where I I uh, I got it. If you're betting, if you're betting on uh, whether or not there's an over under and how many times we say Kia Nurse's name, here it is: Kia Nurse, Kia Nurse, Kia Nurse. We put the over. So there you go. You can go cash your tickets out at your local uh, establishment. Uh, Dan, really appreciate you coming on. Uh, this is fun, and uh, again, appreciate you dropping the gems. BlueStarEurope.com. Head on over there, and Dan will have you covered for everything you need. Uh, Dan, all the best going forward. Thank you very much. Appreciate the invite, guys. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Women's Basketball Worldwide Podcast.